off of the coast of the continent of Australia, off of Queensland, just below the surface of the ocean, covering about 130,000 square miles, there is a reef. The entirety of its structure was built by animals, coral, making it the single largest natural structure created by living organisms on the planet. Caves and mountains and valleys, that's created by water and lava and tectonic movement, Earth's geology at its finest. But this reef, it's all coral made made from the waste of their bodies, the calcium carbonate that comes out of them. We construct buildings and walls and monuments from stone and steel and wood, but this reef is all coral all the way down. This is the Great Barrier Reef, one of the most astounding unparalleled creations on the planet, the largest reef on Earth. Travel halfway around the world and you'll find something very similar off the coast of Belize in Central America. Central America does that intense eastern hook around the southern edge of the Gulf of Mexico and then cuts downward to South America. The Yucatan Peninsula juts out into the water and south of that is Guatemala and Belize. And just off the coast into the water is the Belize Barrier Reef. Exactly like the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, a whole hemisphere away, it is a reef composed of coral construction. People travel from all over the world to go to Belize just so they can pop on a scuba tank and dive into the Central American waters in search of the complex, stunning, and otherworldly beauty of the Belize Barrier Reef. This is the second largest reef on Earth. And then if you travel north, if you hit the Florida Keys, you've gone a bit too far you'll discover the third largest reef on the planet, the Florida Reef, sometimes called the Florida Reef Tract. Every part of it falls within protected water, whether in the Biscayne National Park or within a sanctuary or a state park, this reef is protected. The tract is not just one big reef, but rather several reefs that are part of one great tract. It's thousands of years old, a tremendously diverse stretch of coral life. It's been around for maybe seven or eight millennia. One day this show will head south and observe it up close. It is the third largest reef in the world, just off of our coasts. And if you go down there, you can see through the water and visit the coral that have been living in Florida long before it was Florida for millennia. But until then, I've seen coral up close in a much closer location inside an inconspicuous lab in the middle of Orlando. The scientists here are quarantining and protecting the coral from that very reef. They come from that very reef tract, keeping them safe from a disease called stony coral tissue loss disease. That's the reason that this project, which we started discussing last week, came into existence. But now, something very exciting is happening in this lab, something that normally only occurs down there in the Florida reef, but now it's happening in this lab. The coral here is reproducing. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the next generation of coral. How the coral in the Florida Reef Track Rescue Project are not only surviving, but thriving, and what that means for the future of our Florida reef and coral in Florida's waters at large. Did you listen to last week's episode? Well, I highly recommend that you do if you haven't already. It's a great episode and it provides a lot of context and backstory for what this episode is all about. You get to know our coral and their amazing lives and you get to meet my guests last week and this week so you can be ready for the fascinating, unprecedented things held in this episode. 
If, however, you did listen to last week or you just want to listen to this episode, I'm going to give you a quick overview of what we discussed last time. So, coral. They're animals related to starfish, jellyfish, anemone, all those squishy aquatic pals. They reproduce sexually and asexually. They eat at night by taking in particles through their multiple little mouths. They've got these little stingers. And they have little algae that live with them. That algae, called zooxanthellae, live with the coral and they give materials to the coral that the coral then uses. The coral uses the materials from zooxanthellae to create the calcium carbonate, aka the limestone, that build up reefs underneath them. In this project, the one that I am visiting last week and this week, the Florida Reef Tract Rescue Project, coral, notably boulder or brain coral, the round orb-like or even flat circular corals, are being cared for in this controlled facility where water, air, and food are maintained by scientists. They're here because of a mysterious disease called the stony coral tissue loss disease. We don't know the cause yet, but we know we can save the coral, perhaps, if only we can quarantine them. That is why this project exists. Perhaps we can figure out the cause of the disease in the first place and allow them to survive better in the wild. What my guests told me, my guests being Justin Zimmerman, Midori Mendoza, and Gabrielle Valancourt, what they told me is that the future is very exciting for these coral, and they'll soon show some pretty solid evidence to back up that opinion. This is the second episode of our discussion of this amazing project and the wonderful things happening with our coral here. So let's delay no further. Let's go to the lab. Let's peer into the tanks and examine the creatures below because they are unlike anything I have ever seen up close. I say this to them, but it's hard to process what you're seeing when you stare down at a coral. When you say something is an animal, there are a few factors to an animal that we all know. Usually, frankly, they have a face. Every other Florida animal has a face. Gators, bears, eagles, panthers, spoonbills, human beings. They have faces, eyes, mouth, limbs, etc. But you'll find nothing of the sort on coral. They're mind-bogglingly inhuman. Nothing recognizable, nothing to relate to. Their texture is otherworldly, their color is amazing, and the way that they live, the way that they survive, the things I've already told you, it's almost alien, but it is as natural as you can get. These things are millions of years old. They can produce sexually and asexually. You can actually break apart a coral and it can continue to grow and thrive separate from the other half or other part of its life. They tell me about one specimen of coral that they had that that had a crab inside of it that they had to remove. They cut the coral into four parts and now it's growing healthy as four separate parts. But they're all, genetically speaking, identical. The same creature. What? That is science fiction. Except, no, it's not science fiction. It's coral, and I'm looking at it. It happened. They can also produce sexually because most coral have what we would call male and female sexual organs. Midori explains. So they're both uh, male and female. Right. So they fertilize, they have the sperm and the eggs, and they fertilize. They have them both in this, like, little bundle. And they, when they're ready to reproduce, they basically like send out that bump bundle and the eggs and the sperm mix and they reproduce. Okay. I mean, uh, they fertilize. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Neat, right? 
Each specimen of the coral here are sitting on these little tiles with metal tags on them. This allows them to catalog the coral, to keep an eye out for their history, where they came from, and the tile gives it a kind of structure on which to grow. Like I mentioned, little fish and snails live in these tanks. There's urchins. Gabrielle picks up one of the urchins and just holds it in her hand like it's nothing. I'm, I freak out when she does that. And the animals just live in this miniature ecosystem that the coral are flourishing in. We move a little deeper into the facility and Gabrielle now tells me that she has a party trick. She gives me some unusually colored sunglasses and we approach a tank. I told this crew that I've worked in theatrical lighting, so I was drawn to the LED lights that they were using. They have now promised me a light show, saying, if you love lights, well, check out this. Okay, talk to All me. Right, what are we so doing? We're gonna come this okay. Time. This is my party trick. Okay, I love it. Good no, gracious. We're talking about lighting, we're talking about theater, yes. we're getting Yes, in, we're getting right? into the nitty gritty. Right. So oh my god. For different effects, you want to change your lighting. Yes. Maybe it'll set the mood, maybe it'll help you <laughs> illuminate something a little bit better. Create a dramatic effect. Dramatic effect, okay. yeah, of course. So a lot of these corals will actually fluoresce. No so way. going to blow your mind. Okay? You're not going to, no way. So we're talking about lighting, we're talking about reproduction. We actually had these these green guys here. Yeah, they're the, beautiful. Um, My the abbreviation. Mm -hmm. So the abbreviation is M for, which is funny, but uh, their scientific oh, name M for, is. M for, they're, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Did you catch that? This species, when it's abbreviated, a lot of scientific uh, names for animals or plants or species can be abbreviated to like one big letter and then some three smaller letters. So, you know, it's just an easier way of tracking them. But this one in its shortened version is M-F-E-R. M-F-E-R. I'll let you work that out. That's for the adults. Their scientific name is Mycetophilia ferox. They're the most rare in this project. We have eight out of the 10 in the whole project. And we are the first facility known, I'm put that in. Known, that we know of. Yeah. <laughs> to have them successfully reproduce. Wow, which one is this? Which one is this in this tank? These These green. big bright green ones, mm -hmm. oh, okay. Orange, kind of yellow orange. Yeah, I see the little dots in the middle, wow. Their fun name is Rough Cactus Coral. Rough Cactus Coral, I love that. That is what they look like. So that makes sense I, to me from my total pedestrian standpoint. So we have this app that we can adjust the lighting with and we can make it do disco and thunderstorm and all that fun stuff. <laughs> but right now what I'm going to do is turn all the Kelvin all the way up. Wow. And you can see that the corals are changing kind of, their, their colors look like they're changing a little bit. Yes. They look brighter, the greens are even more green and vibrant. If you put on our fun little lenses here. Oh my lanta. Wow. They're neon green. And they're neon green and the and the little dots in the middle are orange. so orange. Mm -hmm. I mean when they're not they're like not vi I mean they're visible but they are just as sort of standard but when you put this on they are they're like highlighter orange. So do you see this little guy on this rock here? Yeah. That's actually one of the babies from the Everest. What? What are you doing over there? <laughs> but I mean he stands out Ten times more with these glasses on. Right. That's where we find them. So oh, overnight, they'll. There's release. another one I think on the wall. Yeah, there there sure is. is. Yep. So overnight, these guys will actually release larvae because they are brooding corals as opposed to spawning corals. So the sperm will be released into the water column, and then they will be fertilized internally, and then they'll release their larvae. And the larvae also fluoresce neon green. 
So we'll change the lighting like this every day and check that little catchment system and the bin itself to see if any of them got loose. Um, and we'll collect them that way and we've been trying to settle them now for a couple months. I mean, that is just bananas. It is like looking into another world. The little flecks, the literal evidence of this coral reproducing in this ecosystem is like glowing neon glow sticks under the lights with my sunglasses on, flashing orange and green as if they're saying, look, we're doing it, we're alive, we're reproducing. It is a great mark of success for a project like this when an animal under artificial care can reproduce, and these coral are reproducing, and I'm looking at their babies right there. So when we say larvae, they come out as like these little round or cylindrical um, baby corals and they they come out free swimming so they actually move mm -hmm. and they're negatively buoyant so they sink and they move around and they try to find somewhere to settle to stick and be like this is going to be my home this is where I'm going to grow up and so that's what these did over here on the rocks um, so do you that think off. that there's going to be specimen growing on these rocks yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll grow as long as they don't die wow <laughs> they'll grow they'll live as long as they don't right so we have to try to keep them alive that is amazing. My God. And even the other ones that aren't these specimen, I think, are also pretty vibrant in this light with these shades on. Yeah. Wow. We've had almost a thousand, we've collected almost a thousand Over larvae. A thousand Over a thousand mm -hmm. of wow. these babies. Um, wow. But they don't really have a high survival rate. Um, so I think we have about like 15 to 20 that are still wow. uh, around. And they started spawning in uh at the end of march so that's fairly they're, recent they're still like trickling out one or two wow most of the corals in this tank are considered threatened under the endangered species act right only, i was going to ask that there's only a few species all the caribbean corals are protected you can't collect them and they're highly protected but there's i think a few species in the project um, there's the acroporids the, acropor the staghorn elkhorn corals but these, the Mycidiophilia ferox, the rough cactus coral, is one of the corals that's considered threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Okay. And I think some of the Orbicellas, two species of the Orbicella, which are these, these mounded corals right here, they're also considered threatened under the Endangered Species Act. So these corals, highly protected, yeah, highly rare, very rare, highly protected, um, and they're reproducing. They're, they're, they're making babies in, in, in our tanks here. I mean, that's got to be... That's got to be extremely rewarding to know it that is, that, yeah. that these creatures that need to be able to continue to produce are doing so in this artificial but obviously, you know, ecologically controlled facility. I mean, that's incredible. They were the first ones that we got to reproduce. And of all of the corals that we would want them to reproduce, it'd be these guys. Because, like we said, they're so rare that when um, FWC and NOAA were collecting the corals out on the reef, they only found... Like nine ten. or ten of them nine or ten. total of the size that they were able to take. As Midori said earlier, we have 81 of a certain species that and is... We have eight of, of them here. Eight? So and you have 81 of certain other types. I mean, that yeah. is a huge disparity in what's so, out there. Yeah. So in this project, because we have eight and the other facilities only have one, we're actually the only ones that could currently be able to have any type of reproduction with these guys. My goodness. The rough cactus coral in its orange and green glow is doing the impossible. These rare, endangered creatures are reproducing here. That being said, it's been difficult to keep these little larvae alive, to allow them to survive. Many of the larvae, as the scientists mentioned, are dying. But that's okay. 
No one has ever done this before, so they are experimenting with different ways to keep the larva alive. The fact that they even have a chance to do that, the fact that little spawns are being created in these tanks is astounding. They tell me they're working on the water, the lighting, the movement of water, the conditions, everything, so that eventually these larvae can survive beyond that initial stage. They show me pictures and videos they've taken of the larva. It is impossible to process that this coral, this brain creature living in the water, what looks like a static animal sitting on a tile, was once this little wiggling speck that floated through the ocean to wind up wherever it wound up. They do that in the wild, and they do it here, in the middle of Orlando. The Florida Aquarium, as they mentioned, is on the forefront of this conversation, doing work in coral reproduction every day. Gabrielle actually is no longer with this particular project in Orlando. She's actually with the Florida Aquarium, so hopefully I can meet up with her at the Florida Aquarium and talk about their end of the process at another point, because, man, there's just so much more to learn. And there could be a future of using this artificial reproduction to actually combat the tissue loss disease. That is very complicated, scientifically speaking. There is a hope that we could theoretically use these coral to reproduce with other coral that aren't affected by the disease. They, they would have some sort of natural immunity. According to Justin, there's been some work in potentially using that natural immunity, but nothing's certain yet. There's just too many factors in play. Producing something like that would take an immense amount of work, care, specificity, and security. Gabrielle actually calls it biosecurity, making sure there is absolutely no cross-contamination. But that's a project for much further down the line. We aren't quite there yet. The size of this project is big enough that they have coral that was taken from the water before the disease reached the area and after. But figuring out if there is a way to make an immune super coral, that, that, that's down the road. That's something we can worry about in the future. For now, we're enjoying the thriving life that these coral are doing in these tanks. Speaking of which, it's feeding time for the coral, and it's about to get weird. This species is fun to feed, especially to show people who've never seen them eat before because they're very reactive. So mm -hmm. like this one has all of its tentacles out. You can't really see its mouth, but I'm about to put some, this I... is mysis. We're normally feeding them um, krill, but they'll eat the mysis as well. Okay, I apologize if I so react like a very small... in a specific. So these, so these guys are gonna get a little treat over there. There you go. I apologize if I react in a, in a way that is apparently judgmental and they're going to literally pull it in. So you can see the mouth's closing up as the fish, yeah. fish takes them out. They grab onto it and eat No it. way. And pull them in. And so they'll probably eat it in like five minutes. So they're cnidarians, so they have stinging cells like a jellyfish, so they're related to jellyfish. And they basically, in the ocean, will catch plankton that drifts by them. They don't attack their food. They wait for the food to drift by. They'll sting it with their nematocysts, their little hooked cells that, that fire when they hit when they hit a protein. Um, that pulls the that pulls the food in their mouth and they'll ingest it. It's a one way um, digestive tract, so basically that food goes in, it comes out the same, same opening. Same opening. Sure. Yeah, it's not like it's like an anemone. It's basically an anemone that they create a calcium carbonate skeleton. So they're dropping these little morsels into the mouths of these creatures, and the coral is kind of folding inwards and taking the little bits of it in. Not not the whole coral, but the little parts of it that have the mouths on it. It's kind of just like taking it into the opening. And you can see that some of them have these little tentacles that they're using in their hunt for snacks. When they drop some food in, fish come rushing, but don't worry, the corals still get what they're after, and it is totally freaky looking. 
These animals are fed first thing in the morning right when the staff gets in at 6 a.m. since coral in the wild feed at night. And feeding them at dawn is just one step in the long process of what these scientists do when they come in in the morning. They show me around the various procedures and the various factors that they're looking at. They have equipment that is monitoring alkalinity, salinity, the quality of the water. They're also looking at the colors of the lights, obviously, and they can control those. They're testing the water, examining the coral, looking for any changes, and keeping an active watch. They even have some remote access so they can keep an eye on things and alter them without having to come in if they need to. They even have generators in case a hurricane hits and the power goes out. They are prepared for anything to protect these coral. And like I mentioned at the beginning, this is not just a program run by the people in this facility. This is a statewide even national program that is spending time and energy and money to help keep this project alive. It's a cool partnership, not only a partnership between like AZA, the Association of Zoos Aquariums, SeaWorld. SeaWorld provides the, the husbandry expertise. So there's there's right. four main partners in this community. This is one of our partners and Disney provides the operational expenses for the, for the project. No kidding. So us as SeaWorld, we, we, we don't own this facility. We don't, this, this is a SeaWorld project and it's a SeaWorld project as far as we provide the staffing for it. So we right, you are the SeaWorld element we of it. The, the, the technical staffing, the husbandry expertise to run and, and care for these corals. That's SeaWorld's donation for the project. The, the, it's, it's, it's run by AZA. The Disney is what's providing the capital expense, the operating expense. They provide the money for the rent, for the, um, the lease, the, the power. So that's provided by sea, uh, Disney basic conservation, conservation grant. And then there's Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida. They, they're the leaseholders and they're the ones that pay. They're, they're the ones that write the checks. So basically, Disney, yeah. Disney's paying the bills, so they're writing the checks. So everybody's kind of uh, contributing. SeaWorld Seal and Disney have amazing conservation programs, but both of them know the importance of the, the coral reefs, the Florida Reef Tract, and helping the reefs. So that's really why we decided to partner on this project, because it, it's it's not just about um, competition. It's really, it's really about the, the amazing work we can do together. The way, the way we can work as a team to, to save the corals yeah. up in Florida. There's so much going on here, but the amount of commitment to what's happening, it's unheard of, to me at least. The amount of dedication to the end goal by so many organizations. But where does this project end? Does it have an end goal? What is the finale of this project? What is the conditions? Is that even fathomable, like a condition in which this, this project would no longer need to exist? Or is that something that we still don't even know what that would look like? Ideally, yes. Ideally, ideally this, this, these corals would, and their offspring would be turned, turned to the wild. And, and you know, it would, like I said, it'd probably be generations from here of, of a lot of work. Um, the, the reefs really need to not only be helped from, from SeaWorld to, with, with, with more corals going out, but it also needs to be helped from the, the, the environment perspective. We need to treat the reefs better. Of course, we need to get the carbon, our carbon emissions under control to lower the temperature of the reefs, the, the water temperature. We need to get our nutrients under control. We need to get there's a lot of other things going on. Right now, the Florida uh, Keys are working at replacing their septic tanks with things that are more sustainable. They're fixing a lot of the septic systems that in the past have leached. I think if everything comes together just right, we will fix the reefs. I do think it's it's, it's definitely uh, it's it's in our future. I mean, it's for the large, for the big picture for this thing, it's so hard to imagine where it's like okay, like I'm going to be 25 in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, where do I see this in another 25 years? I don't know. Yeah. But the Florida Aquarium outplanted 560 corals. If we can have some more babies and we can have small successes that we can celebrate and then work with our government and work with the community to get our environment 
on track and, and try to save our earth, literally, <laughs> that's where the success is coming. I mean, this podcast just celebrated its four-year anniversary last week. This project is newer than that. That's how much they have accomplished in such a short period of time. They show me a, a coral that has grown in this facility to be like this massive, huge coral, basically like the, the, the width of my head. And it grew that way in this facility. And that was just in this short period of time. The creatures are changing and growing in such a short period of time, and they are seeing legitimate progress from the things they have done. The future is unknowable for what they can do with this coral, but if folks like my three guests are involved, there's no doubt to me that there are good things ahead for our coral. They share how much it means to them. They see the greater impact of the world they're helping affect. They see that their studies in marine biology have brought them to a totally unique occupation, and they see what can be done with all of the science they are doing. Midori talks about witnessing reefs in person and how that inspired her to want to explore what she can do with them. That's what brought her here. I went to Bonaire diving for the first time and if you've ever been there, it's like diver's paradise. Mm. I definitely got spoiled, like, <laughs> it's amazing. And so like, from there on, I was like, mind blown. I'm like, how have I never um, learned about any of this really before? And like, this is literally a whole other world and then to come back and like start learning more about corals and the environment and uh, coral reefs in general and the ocean and like then learning the state of Florida's coral reef I was like like I have to like I have to get into this like, yeah this is what I want to do this is what I want to work with and I want to continue that work and I want to yeah. continue working with you know SeaWorld and Disney and the Florida Aquarium and all these other institutions and scientists that like they have you know that we're all working together for the same goal. Gabrielle mentions that it's bigger than just working with the coral in these tanks. There's also a future in marine life policy. This field is massive. She also states that the people in this project are extraordinarily unique in their ability to care for the coral in this way. They have a very special set of, of skills and knowledge to use. found a very niche. It's so niche. The oh, stuff that you have so to know niche. to do it is ridiculously niche. So when we get to talk about it, obviously we're so passionate. And everybody in this field are the most passionate people that you'll be able to meet. Like yeah. Everybody, again, we don't necessarily do it for the money. So it's just so great to get to work with people who are passionate about the project, who are passionate about saving the environment, and we have so many things in common. We can have a good time at work, but also, like, you saw that massive coral. Look at that That thing. has grown twice as big because we were able to get it to... Right, you to can be. see the physical effects of the work that you guys are coming in here and doing every single and, day. I mean, there's babies over there. Babies, literally, yeah. we're, we're parents. So, like, we have so many things pulling our attention in different directions that it yeah. gets a little overwhelming and kind of out of body at times but we get to we get to work for a physical thing of literally saving our reefs yeah we know where to start we know how to get moving forward we have success and results and we just want to steal it so it's just so amazing to be at the very like literally the infancy of this project and just gathering so much information in our own brains and, and moving it forward is just like the most again rewarding we've said that word so many times but it's the most rewarding feeling yeah being able to be here and working with the girls and working with super smart awesome great people and just it's yeah hard to put into words 
And I think Justin puts it best at the very end here. This is literally the first time this has happened anywhere, anywhere in the world. So it, it, we're literally doing cutting edge research, cutting edge work, cutting edge everything here in this little tiny facility that we are somehow taking care of. And it's, our, it's doing stuff that we love to do. Brand new science in brand new ways for a brand new problem, tucked away in an inconspicuous facility in the middle of Orlando, driven by passionate people in a collaboration between massive organizations and corporations. That to me is the kind of thing that helps me sleep at night at a time where warnings about our planet are becoming increasingly dire. For me, seeing these little animals in these tanks prospering, if they can do it, so can we. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you listened to this episode. I'm so glad I got to share this story with you. It means a lot to me to meet scientists like these three and share their work. And I truly cannot wait until the next time I can visit this facility or another coral facility. I mean, I'm fascinated by this story and I look forward to sharing it more with you. I'd like to thank Michelle Ashton from the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida for getting me in touch with this project. It really means a lot to me. And I'd like to thank, of course, my guests, Midori Mendoza, Gabrielle Valencourt, and Justin Zimmerman. Their three hours that they spent talking to me on a Saturday a couple weeks ago was one of the best experiences I've gotten to have this summer. It was so much fun. I'm glad I got to meet them. I'm glad I get to see all of their work now, and I hope that I get to meet with them again soon for this show and talk even more in depth about the life of Coral and the work that they are doing. I have requested possibly coming back during a night or early morning experience with the Coral, but we'll see. It's definitely something I'd like to do and share with you for this show. So thank you to them for letting me intrude on their day for a couple hours. It really was a wonderful time. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. You can share the posts there, like, comment, react, respond to me. I'd love to hear from you. And you can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you there as well. All right, that is it for me this week. I will be back with you next Monday with another brand new episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so looking forward to it as this summer reaches its end. But don't worry, I have some really wonderful things planned for September and October. Oh man, I am so excited for October. Halloween is going to be very fun. I'm going to go all out. You're not ready. Anyway, I will see you next Monday with that new episode. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, and as always... Drink more water. Have a good week. See you next Monday.